We are um, in the book of John. We're just going verse by verse in the book of John. We are in John chapter 3. So if you want to flip to John chapter 3, we are covering verses 3 through, oh, what am I saying? 13 to 21. John chapter 3, verse 13 to 21. We are covering maybe the most famous Bible verse in the world, which is kind of hard for preachers. Like, how do I preach? Everybody knows that, but it's good, and we need to remember this. Um, John 3, verse 13 to 21. So quick recap, Jesus is having a conversation right now with a man named Nicodemus, and Nicodemus and Jesus are talking about the fact that you need to be born again, and Nicodemus is getting his mind blown. What does that even mean? How can you be born again? And then Jesus goes on to explain more about that. So we're starting in John 3, verse 13, says this. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Who's that? Anybody? Jesus. As Moses, he just makes a random like uh, referral to the Old Testament. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and probably at least half of you are like, what? Remember when Moses did that? No. But listen, we'll get there. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, thank you God, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you again for your word. I thank you that this is from heaven, that Holy Spirit, you inspired and spoke, and we have your authoritative word. And right now, we just together, myself included, we just like kind of significant, we, we, we sit under your word. As we're even sitting is just this posture of like, I am, I am not the one in charge. I am sitting underneath the word and the authority of God. And God, I thank you for how amazing and beautiful and encouraging your word is. And I also thank you for the way your word is really challenging and is clearly not man-made. And, um, and so God, I just ask that we would take all of your word tonight. We would take the amazing good news in it and we would also take the, the hard truths in it. We would just take it together and we'd say, God, you have every right to speak into my life. You have every right. You are God. And so I submit to you. And so Holy Spirit, just come. Would this be as much of a time of worship as when we were singing as, as we just listen to your word explained and unpacked, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you just bless us with your presence? And it's in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, have you ever had like 
a very humbling experience. Like almost a, a way of saying is like your most embarrassing moment, but like just humbled, like where you were like, I mean, look how awesome I am. And then it's like, oh my gosh, I have been humbled. And I will be honest, this happens to me, you guys, very often. If you know my wife, this happens to me all the time because I tend, I'm the kind of person who's like, I think I can get away with stuff. I think the rules don't really apply to me because I am like, you know, I can do more than the average human. And so I do things I shouldn't be doing and then it doesn't go well and then I get humbled. And uh, recently my wife and I were camping on like the north side of the Grand Canyon and we drove up to this place called Lake Powell, which uh, I've heard is the largest man-made reservoir, reservoir in America. And it's this huge, like it was like the beach. It was just sand and this amazing huge lake. And um, we were driving my truck and you literally drive your car onto like the sand dunes onto like right there. And so there's just people like parked everywhere, just huge epic race trucks. And um, I have like a relatively small truck that I love, but it's not four-wheel drive. It's just a little Toyota Tacoma. And I'm always like, oh, it's fine. I can do, I can do anything four-wheel drives can. It's light. I've been kind of stuck and then I can get out and I'm like, we got this. So we're like driving around and we're kind of doing it and my wife's like, I don't know if we should. And I'm like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. And so we're just cruising along. And, um, you know, like you kind of make a turn and you slow down and then it starts to go. And so we're like kind of starting to get stuck. But normally I'm pretty good at like, no, you can like back up and like use your momentum and like rock yourself out. And I'm doing that and I'm kind of getting out. And then like, then you just start like digging and you just start sinking into the sand. I'm like, oh, okay, we're on vacation and we're stuck and there's all these people just looking at you like, what an idiot. And so you just get out. And I was, I didn't even want to ask for help. I literally just got out of the car and I just kind of like leaned against the window that was open. And I just was like sitting there like, this sucks. I'm embarrassed. And um, I was honestly praying. This guy comes up. He's like, hey, can I help you get out? He helps me, pulls me out. And I was like, okay, that was obviously a fluke. That was just, that was a fluke. I can keep doing this. So I continue to drive along this sand looking for a place. And you guys, literally a few minutes later, I get stuck again. And like, I was far enough away that it was a whole new like crowd of people. And like, I got really stuck this time, like so deep. And this guy was like, hey, bro, you can have my shovel. Like that's the help he offered. So I was like, and it was like a little shovel. And so I was just covered in sweat and sand just digging, just digging and digging and digging. And I finally get myself out and it was like, I was just humbled. Like my, me and my little truck were like, okay, we're idiots. We, were, we shouldn't have even tried and we should have parked up top where all the regular cars were that weren't four-wheel drives and walked down, but I, I got humbled. Now, listen, one of the glories of the Bible, of the word of God, is that it speaks really honest to us and it radically humbles us. And, and here's what we tend to do. We tend to think like me in my truck, often too highly of ourselves, at least in certain areas. And we often tend to think too low of God. Like we just tend to do that. We just, I mean, most of us tend to think too highly of ourselves and our judgment and our wisdom and too low of God. And God in his word says things like, hey, my ways are not your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher. And it's one of the glorious things about reading the Bible is it gives us this ridiculously high view of God and a very humble view of who we are. And, and as we read these really familiar verses, this, what's amazing, what I love about this passage is it gives us a really honest, raw view of humanity and a, an amazingly glorious, incredible view of God, particularly God's love for us and what he has done for us. And so as we work through these verses, just keep that in mind as, as God just humbles us and then just glorifies who he is. And now 
We're going to cover these nine verses um, in like five points, but points isn't quite the white word. It's kind of like five movements, if you will. Um, and I'm even going to give them to you now if you're like, like taking notes or like that. The, the five movements are this. Number one, the problem. Number two, the solution. Number three, the invitation. Number four, the promise. And number five, the warning. Okay, that's how we're going to work through. Number one, the problem. Okay, number one, the problem. Now, what I love is we've all heard John 3, 16. We know it. But even the verses before and after help us look at our problem as humanity in a very unique way. Um, and remember when Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Remember when he said that? Some of you maybe know what that is. That's a reference to this crazy story in Numbers 21. And I'm actually going to flip there really quick. And I'm going to read, it's just five verses of this little story in the book of Numbers 21. If you want to turn there with me, you can. Numbers 21. And this story is like a parable. It's a true story, but it's like a parable of humanity's situation. It's a parable of the problem we find ourselves in. So Numbers 21, verse 4. I'm going to read this. Okay, so context, they just were freed from slavery and they're wandering in the wilderness, okay? And they're having a hard time. They've already like rebelled and complained and it's been rough. This is like a year later. 21 verse 4. From this mountain, Mount Hor, I didn't want to say it because, but anyways. From Mount Hor, they sent out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. And this is like the 10th time they've done it. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food, which is referring to manna. God just rained bread from heaven. And now they're complaining. We loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord, guys, listen to this verse. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents. Pause. What even is that? What is a fiery serpent? I literally have no idea. I think dragons. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. Guys, this is a true story. Fiery serpents are in the wilderness biting people. And they bit the people so that the people, so that many people of Israel died. Just picture chaos, you guys. Like, oh, Tanner bit dead. Like people just dropping and we're like running from fiery serpents. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he may take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Honestly, I don't know if I would have. And, and the Lord said to Moses, listen, this is crazy. Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Okay, crazy weird little five verse story in the book of Numbers. Numbers is awesome, by the way. It's half so boring and in like just lists and places. And then it's like, oh, and then fiery serpents. You're like, wait, what? So I would recommend the book of Numbers, side note. So what is the problem? The problem, first movement, the problem is this. We, like Israel, have been bitten by the snake. We have been bitten by the snake and we feel the effects of the curse every single day. We as humanity, like Adam and Eve, 
have gone, we've rebelled against the Lord. We, like our forefathers, have chosen our own way. And we have, in a sense, been bitten by the snake. And we feel the effect of this curse on us every day. Like, you guys, honestly, how do you explain where does, like, your hate come from? Where does your jealousy come from and your lust and your greed and your fear and your insecurity? You've been bit. You rebelled against God and you've been bit and you are poisoned and dying. And, and jo, uh, John, who's writing this story, is, re, is, is telling us, Jesus is referring back to this story as Moses was in the, the wilderness. This is a story about us too. We have rebelled and we've been bit. And that's one picture of the problem. But there's actually two more pictures of the problem in these verses. Look at verse 18. We get another picture of the problem. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. So do you know what else our problem is? We were born condemned. Like that's not only am I bit and poisoned, I'm born, I'm by default condemned. The true, we talked about this last week, the true state of every human being is we are born spiritually dead. We begin spiritually dead. We begin condemned. That's horrible and sad, but if you do not believe you are condemned already, your default mode is condemned. And then we get even one more picture of our problem in verse 13. It says this, no one has ascended into heaven. This is a kind of a metaphorical way of saying this. We can't fix the problem. We, no one can fix. No one can get into heaven. No one can like pull it off. No one can make it better. And we've been trying, humans have been trying from day one to like fix ourselves. We've been trying to like get into heaven. There's a metaphorical like way of like, I want to get out of this place. I want to get away from the curse. I want to get off this cursed land and not be condemned. And that is what we've been doing from the beginning. If you remember the Tower of Babel, they literally tried to ascend into heaven through the, the, like, uh, the efforts of man. Genesis eleven fourteen says this of Babel. This is describing humanity every human society. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So one more way Jesus is describing our problem is that we are trying to get ourselves into heaven. We're trying to make a name for ourselves. And we do that in many different ways. Some of us do it through like, pursuing uh, like physical health. Some of us try to make a name for ourselves through like gratification. Like it may be sex, it may be food or drink or drugs. Some of us try to like ascend into heaven and get rid of the curse through like our career or our grades or our connections. Some of us are trying to ascend into heaven through our relationships. Man, if I only get this relationship, I'm good. I have everything that I need. If I could only get this, I will like, I'll be above. I'll be in the clouds. I'll be fine. Me, I'm prone to like think I can achieve my way into heaven. That's my default mode. I think if I obey enough and do enough good stuff and outperform other people, that's my default, that I'm like, oh, yep, now I'm in. Now God loves me. I have achieved my way into heaven. I've shed off this curse. I'm not bitten. I'm not condemned because I can work hard enough. And you guys, I'll, honest, I'll let you in even further. This is how I'm prone to think. 
man, how good did I do this week is how much God is going to bless abide on Friday. That's literally like what goes in my head. I'm like, oh man, have I like worked up enough? Have I earned enough? Oh man, like, I don't know. Like I literally, my default mode is I think my performance equals God's blessing and me getting to heaven. And so humanity has been bitten and is condemned and we cannot fix ourselves. That is a picture of the problem in these verses. Now, thank God it doesn't end there. There's a solution and it's found in verse 16 and it says this, for God so loved the world. You guys, you know what the problem of the curse and us being condemned and us being unable to fix it is the love of God. God so loved the world. And I love that. It's not God fixed the world. God loved the world. And you know what else? When, we, when, I, when I, probably most of us, tend to think of the love of God, I think we first go to like an emotion. And I don't think that's wrong. We're like, yeah, God has like emotions towards me. But this verse is showing you God's love is specific. God's love is like, he, he showed it in a specific way. And it says this, for God so loved the world. And growing up, maybe you thought that meant God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. That's not wrong, but that's not what this verse is saying. What so means is in this way. God loved the world in this way. How does God's, God, is, what's God's love like? Is it just feeling towards me? No, it's specific. It's a specific in what way? He loved the world that he gave his only son. How do you know God loves you? You have to wait for a feeling and an emotion. No, you can look to what he did. He specifically loved you. He gave his only son. God has proved he loves you by giving his son, by providing, by making a way for you to be rescued. And there are times when we struggle to believe the love of God. Listen, look to the specific act that he did. He gave his son for you. And then you can be like, well, maybe he gave it for some people. Well, what does it say? He loved the world. And then it goes on to say, whosoever, meaning God literally loves everyone, the world, whosoever, that includes you. If you want to know, does God love me? No, he gave his son for you. And listen, this is, this is so cool. We don't tend to think of this, but there's another Old Testament story like deeply embedded in this. You, you know the story of a, of a father willing to give his son, to offer his son. You know that story? It's the story of Abraham. And this, there was a story when God promised, hey, I'm going to bless the whole world through your offspring. But he was like 75, and his wife was well past being able to have babies. And then 25 years go by, and they're like, like this doesn't make, literally doesn't make sense. And God's like, watch what I can do. And then he does. He gives them a son supernaturally, 75-year-old mom. Just picture that. Your mom's 75. Your dad's 100. And, and God's saying, look, I'm going to bless the nation, the whole world through you, but I also want you to kill your son. And Abraham's like, but you're, you promised me you're going to do something through my son. And, but Abraham trusted God. And so he gets wood and he makes Isaac carry the wood and they go up a mountain together and then they set up this whole offering and Isaac is like, hey dad, where's the lamb? And you know what he says? He says, God will provide the lamb. And then he straps and ties his son down. Isaac's like getting the picture at this point. And he raises his hand with a knife in his hand and Genesis twenty-two twelve 12 says this. 
God stops him and says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. Listen, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And you know what's crazy is that God didn't withhold his son. And that at that moment, and Jesus was like, God, do we have to do this? God didn't withhold. He gave his son, and his son actually died. His own, very own son. God gave Jesus as a sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice for your and my rebellion. God gave his son. And then, this is also crazy, like the other story of Moses raising a snake. Remember what happened, had to happen? He was like, hey, make a snake, put this brass, make this brass snake and lift it on a pole. And the way to take away the curse was they just had to look at the snake. So Jesus was lifted up on a pole, the cross. And on the cross, Jesus took our curse, the curse upon himself, that those who would look to him would not be cursed, but would live. That is the specific love of God. God loves you and he's proven it by not holding back what is most precious to him, his own son. And as, as Moses lifted up a snake, Jesus was lifted up on a cross as a sacrifice. That is the love of God. That was God's solution to the problem that we were facing. And then number three, there's this invitation, okay? It doesn't stop there. Look at verse 15, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So we're all pretty much in a really, we're in a really bad spot and God gives his son and he says, listen, do you know how you receive it? You believe. Now we know that because we've heard it, but listen to how radical that is and listen to honestly how weird it is. Okay, you're all bitten by a snake and do you know the solution? go look at that snake on a pole. Like, that's so weird. Honestly, think about it. It's like, no, give me the medicine. Give me, do something, pray. It's like, no, just go look at the pole. What do you mean? I just literally look at the pole and I'm better? Yeah, it's all you do, look at the pole. Wow. You guys, faith is honestly so simple. Salvation is so simple. And it's amazing and it's deep, but it's very, very simple. We, like the Israelites, look to Jesus and are saved. That's like what we do. Well, like, yeah, but how hard do I have to, like, work? And do I got to do, like, initiations or probationary period? Like, do I prove myself? No, you just look to Jesus. Yeah. yeah, but, like, I've been bitten. I've been cursed. I've rebelled against you. I've racked up all these sins against you. I've gone my own way. Like, what do I do? You, just, you look at Jesus. You look. And you look at the Son of God on the cross. And you believe. You believe. Belief is simply looking to Jesus to save you. It is so simple, and, and we can break it down. Uh, verse 15, whosoever believes, okay? Number one, whosoever, we already talked about that, means anyone, everyone. It means you. There's hope for you. There's hope for the worst human you can imagine, whosoever. There's hope tonight for the most shamed sinner in this room. There is hope for those who have hidden secrets that they think nobody would ever love them if they knew about those things whosoever. And what do we do? We believe. We simply look to Jesus. You hear the invitation and then you look and you believe. 
It's so simple and it feels so foolish. And you know what? God did that on purpose, you guys. Yeah, but like, what do I have to do, Jesus? How much do I have to follow you? How much do I have to prove it? Just believe. Just trust me. And the Bible talks about this. This is the stumbling block of the cross. It's foolishness. But you guys, Muslims look at Christianity and they think it's a joke. Like, all your sins, you just believe and they're just forgiven. Like, it's actually offensive to them. Because do you know how much stuff a true, dedicated Muslim does? It's a lot. They do a lot of stuff. And it is deeply offensive to say, that's rubbish. You can't do it. You can't earn it. You look to Jesus and he saves you. And it feels foolish. And do you know what else it feels foolish? Right after you sin and you're just full of shame and you're feeling condemned, you're like, no, there's no way that that's just what I do. It's, it's got to be more complicated. I have to prove it. I have to earn it. No, you look to Jesus. Romans, you guys, 1.16 says the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus, is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. You, all of us, are invited to simply look and trust in Jesus. Now, I want to say this. What else are you looking to, though? Because, because we're really prone to, like, look to something else. We're really prone to, like, trust something else. We're really prone to, like, believe something else. Are you like me? Do you, do you look to your own performance? Like, when you're feeling far from God, is that what comforts you? Oh, yeah, but at least I did a really good job today. Or, man, I did a really bad job, and, like, I don't know. I don't know how I am with God. Are, are you looking to, like, man, like, I want society to be better, and, and like, I, that's my hope, and I just want, like, you know, politics and, like, social justice, and I want things to, like, that, when that comes, it'll, my heart can rest. Are you looking to other people, other relationships? Are you looking to pleasure? You guys, listen, none of that can save you. None of that is enough. Simply looking and trusting in Jesus. It feels foolish, and it is profoundly the only hope for you. Your only hope is trusting in Jesus. And now, number four, so we've seen the problem, the solution, the invitation. Now we're going to look at God's promise. This is so good. It's twofold. Uh, Look first at verse 18. Whosoever believes is what? Someone read it. Verse 18. Whosoever believes in him is what? Is not condemned. Oh, And one verse before that, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. You guys, the glory of believing in that simple truth that God loves me and gave his son for me and I trust him means you are no longer condemned for your sin. And the more you know about God, the more that's like insane because God is just. And God is holy, and he rightly judges evil, and he rightly punishes rebellion, and he hates sin. Like, that's who God is, and then we can stand not condemned. Like, that's crazy, you guys. That is insane. And the fact that we've rebelled against an eternal God, that means we've racked up such a crazy debt. And if you trust in Jesus, you are not condemned. And why aren't you condemned? You guys, because Jesus was condemned in your place. Jesus took the judgment and he paid the price. And do you know what that means? This is awesome. Because God is just, 
And because he punished Jesus, do you know what that means for you? It means God would be unjust to punish you. Like he can't do it. Like that would be an unjust judge. You can't send someone, kill them in whatever it's called when you get a death penalty and then do it again. That doesn't make sense. Somebody already got the death penalty. Somebody already took the punishment. Somebody already took every ounce of God's holy wrath against sin, Jesus, which means you cannot be condemned. You can't. God is holy and he's just and he's not going to punish someone and then do it again. He is just and Jesus was condemned for you. And so you right now, if you've trusted in Jesus, are sitting here not condemned. You are not condemned. You are declared righteous. Now, you didn't earn that. You've just simply trusted and been given that as a gift. And so a couple practical things. When you still sin, because we do, the Bible says we still sin. If anyone sins, we struggle with this thing called the, the flesh. Do you know what's really normal? We feel convicted, right? Like probably all of us this week. We did something. We believe something. We let our hearts go somewhere. And then we feel convicted. Listen, that's called, well, there, there's two things going on there. But one of them, and it's good, is the work of the Holy Spirit saying, hey, that was sin. You shouldn't have done that. And, and then you know what the Holy Spirit does? He convicts you of your sin. And then do you know what he does? He says, so look to Jesus. Remember, that's what Jesus came for. Remember that very thing you just did. Look to Jesus and remember that the punishment for what you just did was paid 2,000 years ago on the cross. The record was nailed to the cross, canceled. You are forgiven. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So when you like feel convicted, that's, that's okay and that's the right process that the Holy Spirit does. And then he leads you to Jesus. But do you know, here's another thing that can happen. The accuser, Satan, he's called the accuser of the brethren. And so this is another thing that probably happens. This week you sin and in your ear, Satan is lying to you saying, you're condemned. You are guilty. You look at what you have done. And he's just saying to you, he's accusing you. And on the, on the one hand, he's not wrong. You did that, and he's accusing you. But he's never gonna remind you of Jesus. And so when you hear the voice of the accuser, and it may be something that happened 20 years ago. It may be, have, be something years and years ago, and he's accusing you. This is what you do. You remember, you look to the snake that was lifted on the pole. You look to Jesus on the cross. Remember, no, my sin has already been punished. I can't be condemned. God is just, and I've already been condemned in Christ. I died in Christ. And so listen, when you practically come to church on Friday night or Sunday, and you're trying to worship, or when you try to open your Bible, and then all you start hearing is your sin, that's the accuser. That's like, that happens every day, every time we try to worship. When, when we come and we try to worship before the Lord, Satan is literally just like shooting darts saying, don't worship, you're guilty, you're guilty. How dare you, how dare you? This is what you do. You look to Jesus and remember, I am not condemned. John three eighteen. I believe in Jesus, I am not condemned. Romans 8, verse 2, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. I've looked to Jesus, all my condemnation is gone. God will not condemn me. And remember that. I am not condemned. That is the promise. You are not condemned. When God looks at you, he sees a righteous, beloved son and daughter of God. You are not condemned. And then the promise is also, another way he describes it is in 3.16, which we hear a lot about. We have eternal life, which means we know this is coming, a new earth 
and a new body that is not tempted. And we will be with the Lord forever. And we will be with him in the presence of God, looking at him face to face. But listen, eternal life doesn't start when you die. You probably have heard this. It's, it started when you trusted in Jesus. Eternal life is like what you are living in. It's the quality of life that has started already. And here's what that means practically. Remember the truth that Jesus was given for me and I am not condemned every single day. That is what it is to live in eternal life. When I sin and I feel condemned, it's like, no, I have eternal life. Remember, I already have this different quality of life that says I am forgiven. I am loved by God. I am not condemned. That is what it means to have eternal life right now. And so you've like been promised that. You have been offered eternal life. And so walk in that. Like tonight, when you feel condemned, no, I have eternal life. No, I'm not condemned. And just enjoy that gift. And the last thing is this. So we've looked at, I don't know if I'll remember them. We've looked at the problem, the solution. We've looked at the invitation, the promise. And now number five, this is how Jesus ends these verses. And it's not very motivational and I wouldn't have chosen to do it, but I'm not Jesus. Number five is God's warning to us, to the world. Verse 318, whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Listen, that's the warning. If you do not believe, you are condemned. You are condemned already. And which means, man, like there's no other hope for me apart from Jesus. There's nothing else I can do. I stand condemned. And then people, like, we don't want to hear that. And listen, look at me. If, if this is hard for you, and there's a good chance this is really hard for you and countercultural and humbling, like, you're telling me I'm condemned? If that is you, Jesus spoke the last three verses to you, okay? And with the love of Jesus, if you were like, I don't like that, this is what Jesus says in verse 19 to 21. And this is the judgment. The light, Jesus, has come into the world. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his words should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so it may be clearly seen that his work has been carried out in God. So listen, if you have a hard time accepting that apart from Christ, I'm condemned, I would probably say, are your works evil? Because that's probably why you don't like hearing you're condemned. Jesus said, if you don't trust this, if you reject the light, it's probably because your works are evil. And it's probably because you have things hidden in the darkness. It's probably because right now you know there's that that I love and it's in the dark and people don't know about it. And Jesus says, that's why you don't accept this because you want your sin. And I've come to give light and truth and salvation. But if you will not accept it, you are condemned because you're hiding in the darkness. And if that's you, if you are hiding in the darkness, hear this. God still loves you. He loves you. And he gave his son for you to do what you could never do. And there is hope for you in the darkness. Right now, there is still hope. But you have to come to Jesus. You have to repent of what is in the darkness that you love. You have to bring it to the light. And you have to let Jesus forgive you and take your sin away. And if you don't, you are condemned. And that's how Jesus ends 
these verses. And so I want to just say to us, do you believe? Have you looked to Jesus? Have you accepted that man? Apart from Jesus, I would be condemned, but God loves me and sent his son and I trust in him and I am no longer condemned. And if you don't believe, just hear even Jesus say, come to me. I love you. Come out of the darkness and come into the light. Listen, like that's everybody's story in this room. Nobody was born not in the darkness, not condemned. We together have gone astray like sheep. Yet Jesus, like a good shepherd, came for all of us. And so if you are hiding in the darkness, get it out of the darkness. Give it to Jesus. Look to Jesus and you will be saved. And then even practically, if if you trust in Jesus, but there are some things in the darkness, listen, repent. Let the Holy Spirit say, hey, remember that's why I came for you. That's why I came for that sin. So we're gonna have a prayer team up here. We're gonna have carpets. You have brothers and sisters around, like confess and say, man, I'm struggling with this. This is in the darkness and I don't want it to be in the darkness anymore. I want to come to the light. I wanna come to Jesus. And then we, we together are just gonna sing about the cross and about the love of God and what Jesus has done. And you know what else? Jesus is now lifted up. He was lifted up first on a cross and now he's lifted up on a throne and he's seated in heaven and he's coming back. And, and I just pray that we would long for him to come back, that he would just come and make things right and destroy any and everything that is wrong and evil and that we would live with him for eternity. And so let's look to Jesus right now. Jesus, you are high and exalted. You are seated on your throne. You are ruling and reigning. You are just and holy and perfect and good. And Jesus, you also are full of love. You are full of love for the world. You are full of love for your children who've trusted in you and you're full of love for those who are in the darkness right now. And Jesus, you came, you gave your life, you were lifted up on a cross and you didn't just physically suffer, you, you suffered all the, the wrath, the condemnation that humanity has deserved, that whoever would trust in you. So Jesus, help us to trust, help us to look to you. I pray right now, Jesus, that we would end this time not looking to anything else but to Jesus. That we would see Jesus high and lifted up. We would see Jesus seated on a throne. We would see Jesus hanging on a cross as the ultimate expression of the Father's love for us. Spirit, would you come? Would you minister and pour out the love of the Father? Would you pursue those of us who are wandering, Lord? Would you bring us back? You are a good shepherd. We look to you now, Jesus.